0: What's up, listeners? It's Emmett. Welcome to your weekly installment of Exhaust, your podcast about why nothing feels possible. Today, I'm talking to somebody I've wanted to talk with for a little while. It is Monia over at the Exiled Fan Substack. Hello, Monia. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm good. Good. Thanks for Um, having me.
0: Yeah, uh, really, really excited to have you here. It, It was our mutual friend, Our our mutual default friend. Yeah, that uh, put me on to the fandom thing. And then, of course, I found your work, which is spectacular and have been following you on Twitter and and watching it. And you published something recently called Love Beyond Reason, The Consecration of Fandom, which we're going to get to in a little bit. But first, I wanted to ask, like, how did you end up on this beat? Like, what's your background? What's going on?
1: I mean, I was just like a regular person who was (laughs) in fandom from... (laughs) No, you know what I mean? Like, just a regular millennial who was like, yeah. What's the internet? And I'm like, What? And like, I live here now, you know? Like, yeah. I, whenever people talk about how Zoomers just are online all the time, I'm like, I mean, that was me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, back when we had dial up and, you know, mom had to be like, I need to use the phone. It's like, Come <laughs> on, I've only been on eight hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, totally.
1: <laughs> just like coding websites and, yeah, just like doing all sorts of stuff. A fandom is really where I, found community and had a great time for -hmm. the most part until my most recent experience. And so I was on LiveJournal and uh, yeah, I mean, isn't that where everyone ended up at some point? Because at first I was just floating around on individual domains because people would Mm -hmm. have their little domain blogs and they would host other people and then you'd become like a mini family. It was -hmm. was interesting and it's not something I can imagine happening now because-
0: No. Well, also LiveJournal was like very tethered to my in-person experience as well. Yeah. You know, because it was like, you'd go hang out with your friends in real life, most of whom were your LiveJournal friends. And there'd be the one or two people who took the photos and then put them up on like photo bucket (laughs) or whatever. And then they'd like minimally learn how to code to put them on LiveJournal so they could archive whatever like silly teenage hangout that you were having. But yeah, like that. I mean, that very much mirrors my experience as well, where I was like hanging out on various forums and then, oh, yeah, forums, of course, yeah, re- right, of course, yeah, and then ended mm-hmm. up, you know, once I learned what LiveDream was, and once they started re- letting just anyone in, because for a while, they didn't do that. So I had a dead journal first,
1: but live journal. I yeah. just remember that from Facebook and yeah. I was, I was a bitter person about that phrase. ages. I'm like, no. now everyone's on it.
0: <laughs> no live journal had, you had to get invited and everybody got a limited number of access codes. I believe
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And so dead journal just took their whole thing and then mm-hmm. made it. So anybody could do it, but it, you know, it didn't have the prestige of live journal. So like, once you no. got one, you'd leave. You know, <laughs> you
1: where know? does insane journal fit into this?
0: I have no idea. I don't know. Just like other
1: one. <laughs> just like I don't know
0: what to think about, like what happened to Zanga or like, you know, like all the dead, all the abandonware of early social media.
1: Apparently, um, Zanga came up in one of my recent readings, and they were saying that there was like a fandom split. I think it was within Queerest Folk. And a certain, certain shippers stayed on LiveJournal and the other shippers went to Zanga, basically. So you will find yeah. the different sides.
0: This, yeah. This These are the diasporas of our day. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So you went from, I mean, if we were both on LiveJournal, we're both millennials. So you end up just in fandom world. And I imagine that brings you to Tumblr.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I mean, I got a Tumblr really early on just because- we were all panicking, and we're like, we need to have our usernames secured. Like, you can't possibly risk someone else taking your username. But oh then man. I didn't use it for for ages. But I was like, I just gotta make sure I have. And even right. by that time, like everything I wanted was gone. So, so I still have friends from the Live Journal days. But yeah, I would just use it as a scrapbook, and uh, sort of fell back into fandom proper with Suits, the uh, the show now made famous by oh Meghan yeah. Markles. Starring in it. that's right. Oh, I
0: always for some reason I always forget she was in it. Like yeah. I I don't know why, and then I'm like, oh yeah. Well, yeah. it was a
1: forgettable character. So. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess
0: that's why. So okay, well, here's here's something that I find really interesting about your work is that you've had this experience where I mean I assume you're still involved in some some fandoms or whatever. It seems to become a part of your engagement with the internet part of your life, but you have this very, like, insider's perspective on how fandom work and what's happened. Like, what is it about fandom that drew you in and how did you get involved in certain fandoms uh, as opposed to others?
1: I mean, I kind of really subscribe to, and it sounds ridiculous, but I really subscribe to the idea. And this is, I've felt this way, but it's sort of been confirmed by other readings. Like, I feel like you don't really have a choice. (laughs) The thing is it has to get you at the right time and it has to, like, it's everything has to align the correct way, and then it strikes a chord in you basically. And when I've looked at And I mean, that sounds so over romanticized, but the way that it is described, even for like the marketing reports on fandom and the branding reports is like fans call it falling in love, you know, with their, with their fan objects. It's like, I don't really have an explanation why, because like a lot of the shows that I was intensely fandom ish about for years, I would still be like, is it actually the greatest show on earth? (laughs) No, (laughs) there's a lot of things I could complain about. We can, we can have a whole discussion about everything that's wrong about this, but it's also like, I feel this connection to it and maybe it's like the ownership part. Although that really came in with like music fandom, I think over, yeah, over TV, TV and movie fandom. I mean, I think
0: music, especially like in the moment that you and I were growing up, it's very different now, but Becoming the steward of your own archive. Oh, I love it. And the dawn of playlisting your entire life with the iPod was like, I mean, that window is closed now in a lot of ways, but so sad, but was a radical experience of sort of curating your own subjectivity, both online and off. Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's something you even saw in. Early days fan fiction. I mean, it's not something that was encouraged by anyone because it's it's terrible writing, but it was something called song fix where <laughs> where you would have a song, you're like, this song like describes the feeling of a scene that I would see. So you would have the lyrics and then write out the scene because you're like, this is how it feels. But people don't read it that way. They just read lyrics and then go like, okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah that's well, your I,
1: job. Make them th- feel it with the text.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm. but I have this whole like totally undeveloped theory about the post-rock revival of the early Mm -hmm. aughts as being the type of playlisting your own life cinematic fan fiction of the self music Mm. because it's like like you know because explosions in the sky did the soundtrack to the friday night lights movie
1: Oh, interesting. Right. So it's like
0: perfect for that. You know, you're just like, this is the song I listen to when I'm on the train, feeling my feelings.
1: You know, I think, (laughs)
0: yeah,
1: you're because that's, that fits together with the TV show soundtracking. Yeah, exactly. My music taste was so (laughs) impacted by the shows I watched. And I remember there was like a brief period of like three years where everyone wanted to be a music supervisor on a TV show. And then like we all realized we couldn't all do that because there's like five jobs yeah. at this point i don't even know if there is a job it's probably just like what songs do we own and have you know yeah like, and how, how do we how do, do we slot it slot that one yeah. in there well yeah. yeah i remember
0: yeah i remember chris Ro- chris ott roasting stranger things for that where there's this interview with the music supervisor and then the high school dance scene She's like, you yeah, know, we really wanted to find something that captured the era. And he's like, Yeah, you did real crate digging for time after time by Cindy <laughs> Lopper.
1: Yeah, like, I mean what I mean... research? <laughs> oh God. Yeah, that's not that's not a good, yeah. You gotta go deep. You gotta find the cuts that like will actually like will evoke something but haven't been overplayed.
0: Yeah, uh, it's a tough, yeah.
1: it's a tough or that's the true for
0: Halt and Catch Fire, by the way, which has all sorts of local music from that part of Texas in that era. That's in the really soundtrack, cool. like somebody really did the research mm-hmm. on that one, but I think you're totally right. You know, I know that you and I are both, and perhaps you more to the extent than me, watched the hell out of Gilmore Girls. Oh yeah. And yeah. And so like, you know, Thurston Moore and Kim Gordon make an appearance in that show. Oh my God.
1: Those, the, the funny thing is I watched that outside of America in a non-English speaking country. So we had the subtitles and it was so interesting to see <laughs> the, the bizarre ways certain things were translated. But yeah, oh my God, those references. I was like, I have to learn everything about all of these. I got to listen to all the CDs that Lane has.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was, of course, there was Sebastian Bach Mm -hmm. in there. There is the tambourine player from the Brian Jonestown Massacre, right? When the documentary about Brian's Jonestown Massacre and the Dandy Warhols comes out called Dig, I believe that was really big on the indie circuit in that time. And then there's also, I mean, that's how I found out about things like Nick Drake's Pink Moon album is mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. in the one of the scenes when Dean are really confiding in each other, they find out they both really love that record. And I was like, what is this record? Yeah. How do I think of myself as falling in love with Alexis Bledel at age 13 <laughs> to, to that song, right? You know, like that's, that's what it invites you to do. So clearly these end up being hugely formative and powerful experiences, this experience with this media, like what is your fandom trajectory, right? So you're in it. And then you say, you have this experience that changes your relationship with it. It's like a good yeah. time until it's not. So if you don't mind, what, what happened?
1: Oh, what happened with my, my, my big E experience, my, experience? yeah. Capital like e. it- How did you fall
0: out after you fell in? Love.
1: Well, my handle is exiled fan because I would I would refer to it as I was exiled from the fandom. I was kicked out by a. I mean, that's like the only way I can. Yeah, I mean that's what it. happens,
0: right? You yeah, know?
1: yeah, and it's and uh, it did sort of really f me up, <laughs> like. Where I was like, I don't understand why I feel this awful about it. Like, and that was a real moment where I was just like, and this lasted for a really long time as well. I was incredibly depressed for quite some time, but it also led me to like researching more because we mm. were so involved in the music industry that I was like, I, well, now I need to understand what's actually going on. So I just started researching A shit ton, but no one wanted to hear about it, which made me even sadder. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, well, that's one of the things, right? Like fandom is amazingly impervious to critique and self understanding, for what I've seen.
1: Yeah.
0: Because that's sort of. uh, It's worse
1: now.
0: Right. And it's worse now especially because I think there's sort of like a marketer singularity oh, yeah. that has been achieved with the fans yeah. and the creation of fandom to the point where like Amazon is just rolling out merch lines and bonus content embedded in episodes like as soon as they launch a new series.
1: I mean I think Amazon will be next to build a community like a residences probably. There yeah. was already a book that sort of covered that where it was like they had these cubes and within the cubes, everyone worked within, like it was like a giant Amazon center inside the cube and they got to live there. If they worked, it was like, yeah. Wow. That's sort of
0: like the, the company town version. If we live in public.
1: I mean, it's coming. Disney's already doing it. You know, it's all all, like, it's coming.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all happening. So that's, and just, I think we should just like, I would like to talk about this a little bit like the way in which fandom really, takes over your life. I mean, this is our guests on the show that I've had, Fox and Alex from Space Commune pointed out that like the people who work on the Marvel franchise and fandom are the same people that like work on presidential campaigns.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Like they're saying the same firm. So this is gonna be like, I think a ubiquitous difficulty across and it really swallows your life. It becomes more than just liking something obviously, but I remember that intuition dawning on me when I was on Tumblr a few years ago and I was never a heavy user. And for some reason, I started following this one account and then I found out that, you know, through my feed or whatever it was called, they were a huge anime fan. And I remember them saying like, without irony, like I could tell just by how I've gotten used to their voice and the way they would write about things is they had all these gifts of obviously beautiful scenes from traditionally cell animated anime in the 80s. And they were like, "How do I inject this into my veins?" Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, we've really, we've really entered a different realm here. Like, is everybody aware of that in these fandom circles? Is that what that they want?" Y- yeah, that it's like a different level. Yeah, it's like a totally so. different engagement. Yeah.
1: No, no, I don't think so. And I remember because because the fandom that really. Uh, messed me up was one direction. We can all laugh at it. It's fine, but I don't, that, that happens, man. Like I, I'm not going to knock <laughs> you for that. Yeah. Like- no, but I think, I think I'm mostly embarrassed because of how strongly I believe certain things that like, when you look, when you take a step back, you're like, wow, you were really manipulated and you bought into that. Like, pfft completely wait so what does Um, that mean like
0: what were you buying into like what I'm very I'm very curious because well I
1: bought into the idea that so like I did like Backstreet Boys when I was what 11 but that was just like oh I need to have something to talk to with the kids at my school (laughs) where I don't speak the language so it was like that ended up being Backstreet Boys but you know you always know about these wars like oh NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were set up against each other by the label and Mm -hmm. then there was all of these you know behind the scenes craziness that essentially boils down to we just want one of them really right. it's too expensive <laughs> to keep five on the road yeah we just need to consolidate the fan base into one and then we can make even more money right but one direction we're going to be different see no, no, no. <laughs> Because mm. they all love each other so much, and they hate Simon Cowell, and you know Sony's the devil, which I still believe because sure. Sony is objectively like awful. But it was this this front of unity where it was like, yes, it's going to happen. And then there was also the fact that there was like anti fans to that theory that were like, no, like, and we're so gleeful about you know they're like, oh, we're gonna see our heroes stomp on every one of them and they will never breathe in public oh right yeah so yeah you're like um why are you being so aggressive about this why can't we all
0: (laughs) right so it's sort of like people saying like oh you know it's actually it's going to be harry styles that you know hits escape velocity on this and yeah everyone will cower in his shadow and all of your fandoms will be destroyed yeah. By <laughs> the eclipsing of the thing is of we were like, styles.
1: Yeah. We were like, oh, well, that's just like stupid media gossip. And also those evil, those fans that are just assholes. Because I'm sorry, I can't think of any other way. Like, why would you purposefully wish failure on someone? That to me is like
0: right, wa- right.
1: want your person to do as well as you want. But as soon as you start saying, like, I also want. Those people mm-hmm. to fail, <laughs> I'm like it, wait, it's, what?
0: <laughs> and it's sort of perfect, right? Because then that can reinforce the narrative yeah. that these people can't actually see how unified they are, and perhaps these people are even stooges, witting or non, of Sony itself.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and there is a question, and it's like there is always people, and this is the problem too, right? Is that there are conspiracies, but whether what you believe is actually a real one is you won't know that until. 10 20 years from now so Mm. (laughs) there's not really a point in the same way it's just like (sighs) yeah it becomes it becomes a it becomes a self-reinforcing thing and you just see things from a certain point of view and you know that they are playing the fans and you see it and you're like But you somehow don't think you're being played right
0: (laughs) Mm. well well, this is this is what i think is interesting about your work on on the consecration of fandom and there's all sorts of religious iconography we've talked about the almost like religious experience of falling for whatever this this content is but it also has these other elements to it that i think are really interesting in that it involves a kind of deep reading in -hmm. the same way we would subject theological texts to like, I mean, I see this, especially with like K-pop fandom. Yeah. Like deep breakdowns of like a K-pop star's expressions in a single gif are like amazing. They're like beatific. They're like highly contextualized. They speak to a certain sect. I mean, uh, am I wrong in noticing that?
1: No, you're completely right. And that is, I don't want, I mean, K-pop has been an entire massive fandom of its own.
0: It's its own uh, universe, as far as oh, I'm yeah, concerned. Oh, for, yeah,
1: for, for a really, really long time. Yeah. And they were actually, I was going to say manipulating their fans, but, you know, like pushing, mm-hmm. you know, trying to steer things way before. But the big influx of the more Western type of fandom did partially come from the from people leaving one direction fandom so a lot I of absolutely the,
0: believe that that makes yeah so a lot sense. of these, like it's, for, it's the one direction to bts pipeline as far as yeah I'm no and
1: i think for some of it is the disappointment and they're like this is a nice shiny new thing why don't i go for them instead and they are very big on unity that's what i've learned now as well mm-hmm. that within that fandom it's ot7 which means the original seven or nothing, like if you single out one of them and you're being too like, too like oh, I really love him. Then it's like OT seven or nothing. Why are you being so like, yeah, you can't do that. You're supposed to respect that they're an entire group and they all love each other. And it's all of them or nothing.
0: Right, so to me, this seems hardly all that different from things like the squad Yeah. in political <laughs> life. You know, it's like, don't you see, they're actually all friends and like, everything's awesome. Look at this Rolling Stone cover. And I'm being a little flip there, but I don't want to undersell the gravity of emotional experience that happens because I think that's what, when people look at fandom from afar, because there are some things that from the outside look patently silly or false, they assume that the people involved with it are stupid, but I don't think that's true.
1: No, yeah, I don't think so at all. I think it's also they've been really... I know people like to talk about the evil of the algorithm, and I don't think it's even that in this case. A lot of it is uh, content you you consume on your own, but because of the speed at which it is being doled out, it is like kind of a it is intentionally keeping you in a state of fervor because you can't sleep. Like I did not sleep sing like a whole night through when I was in the One Direction fandom at all. And this was after they broke up technically speaking. And I was still like, the news cycle was so constant that it was just like, you would wake up in the middle of the night and check, like check. And sometimes you would see things that you're like, shit, like fuck, something big happened. And then you're like, I can go back to sleep. Like my, my heart is like heavy. (laughs) You know?
0: Totally. Yeah. 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 I mean that type of capture, I mean, obviously if you're a marketer, Like, what don't you like about that? Yeah. (laughs) Like, what don't you like about
1: that? I mean, that's the thing, too, right? Is partially why I was like, well, this is going to be embarrassing. I'm going to have to reveal just how, like, fully, like what you're saying, like, fully engaged emotionally, even intellectually, because it was all about breaking things down and reading into things. Right, exactly. Uh, That's that's what I mean the deep reading
0: component, you know?
1: it was nothing you know it was a waste of time but then i keep seeing people publishing things on this and i know someone is planning on writing a book on the one direction fandom and she has written some pretty <laughs> less than nice articles <laughs> about the fans so i'm like you know what if she's going to be over there writing her like official <laughs> right yeah version i'm just going to you know sell the stand the stand <laughs> version like this is what it was like being in it
0: <laughs> right no i think that's really important because i was I read your piece and I've read a few of your pieces. By the way, everybody, you can go to the show notes, subscribe to the Substack; It's really good. But I was reading your work and I was thinking about this movie that recently came out about the Smiths. I don't know if you saw the trailer for it.
1: Is this the one where they take over the radio station? The kid
0: holds up the radio station because the Smiths break up and he wants to impress this girl. Yeah. And I was like, this is weird. First of all, they ran into all sorts of problems. Like the test audiences weren't convinced that the Smiths was like an actual band. Wow. So so okay. there's that. Right. But I went and I watched some clips. It was not good, like just at a aesthetic level. And then I listened to Chris Ott, the music critic, and another friend of his who are both avowed Smiths fans, but who grew up as Gen Xers, mm-hmm. talk about their experience of being Smiths fans versus the one represented in the film. And one of the things they pointed out is they were like, you know, it wasn't constitutive or however you say that word of my identity and the way it is in this film. Like there was almost this ironizing quality you would have about certain members of the band where you'd love the band, but you'd also kind of make fun of the band as well and even make fun of your own engagement with it they were like this film seems to depict a totally different type of engagement with music and they were like is that even real and because they're older and I guess a little bit like from what I remember of their conversation I don't want to misrepresent it too much I was like oh like this is the fandom version of what like this is how somebody now would think about being a fan of the smiths in the 80s and yeah
1: probably their own
0: experience of fandom like back (laughs) onto what it was like and they were
1: active like I think that's the thing too right it's like that they broke up like this was a constant in their lives right and and they have like a something happened. and you're like what like what are you talking about and that's when, because I was part of the um, you know quote-unquote emo fandom totally and and that for me happened with my chemical romance when their second drummer left because it Mm -hmm. was like what come on you guys were all like what happened to thank god i thank god for bob every day i was like what is happening Mm -hmm. and that kind of soured it for me but it wasn't like a big you know Mm -hmm. it wasn't like depression central it was just like oh that's so unfortunate okay this is oh okay okay and right it's like a bummer
0: but it's not this like catastrophic loss of um something around which you've built a a really comprehensive part of yourself. That's not to say that like fandom doesn't exist back then. It's just very different. You know, I mean, there were all of those kids who rode bicycles and dressed like Morrissey. I mean, they're even in the stop me if you think Think you've heard this one before video. But I think the level of engagement here at just a subjective level has changed in both quality and kind.
1: I think it's also so much, well, I think something that's been talked about a lot, so it's not, An original thing to say at all but like the lack of gatekeeping has been a massive game changer and apparently that was a big thing that happened with like the second fan wave in band emo bandam where suddenly all of these people came in and they weren't there specifically for the music they came there because of what the image brought like Mm -hmm. promised them And I was part of that. So, you know, no, no shade. Yeah, no, no shade, just shallow uh, people. But what really happened is like the early fans like locked down and sort of went away because they were like, we don't want to deal with this and sort of hid all of their content. And a few stayed around, but like the primary resources were like just like shut down basically because they were like Mm -hmm. we don't want to deal with these people that are just like don't understand how fandom works seem to think this is okay and you know all of that but then it was on live journal and you had a live journal and pete wentz had a live journal and you know people from the bands had live journals Mm -hmm. so it, it became even more enmeshed where they would sometimes comment on fan fiction of themselves and you're just like uh what? <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And this is the, you know, the notorious. What was it? My immortal fan fiction.
1: Oh, my um, God. Yeah. My
0: immortal. Yeah. I, I was I was reminiscing about that the other day. But I mean, this is also true on MySpace. Yeah. Um, The lead singer of some 41 his name escapes you right now had Eric. Um, yeah. Derek had the red wine diaries where when he was on tour, he would drink a glass of red wine and just like open blog to the fans. About Mm. different stories from inside the tour. Greg Puchato of the Dillinger escape plan did all sorts of weird, quasi political cultural rants in the MySpace until the band cut him off because he was getting too weird. Oh my God, that's too much problem. I feel
1: like I need to research that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, because
0: he's, he was, I don't know if he still is, but at the time he was like a hardcore anarcho capitalist. And so he was, he would just like spout off on this stuff and like the fan base would get pissed. And I think eventually like Liam or somebody was just like, dude, you need, (laughs) you don't, you don't get the login for the MySpace. Uh, And I remember him being like, I'm glad that happened because I was getting too into it. So this this starts to change our lives, but I think that there is still maybe like gradations of gatekeeping or something like that only because you have pointed out that there's a difference between fandom and stand Yeah. And I'm wondering if you could lay that out for us because I think that's really, really interesting.
1: I've, I've tried to think of so many different ways <laughs> of explaining it. So I have like so many analogies and I, I don't know how many of them even make sense, but it feels very much to me like the stands are the people that create the infrastructure and like, if we're thinking of it as a religion, then they are the clergy is the way I think of it up and the fans are mm. the, the people that come to, you know, to the house of worship and like, they might partake in what, you know, the stands are doing, and they're benefiting from it. Uh, They benefit from the fact that there are update accounts, you know, that Mm. give you updates every five minutes about, you know, what is Niall eating right now, you know, where was he last seen was he wearing the blue converse or the like, you know, all of these very (laughs) important details like who did he follow who did he unfollow? Like, you know, all of these things are very important. And that's the stands that are keeping tabs of that. That's the people that are online like 24 hours. And there has been some articles like in the music press about that. They're like, oh, the amazing, you know, extended marketing arm of fandom. And it's like, you're taking advantage of these people is what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. You're like hijacking their emotive functions.
1: Oh, yeah. And like the reward is, oh, you might get a message on Twitter from this person, which also might not even be from them. So. <laughs> Brutal. Or you can, you'll we'll put you in the running to maybe win this award, like this like contest where you can, you know, meet them for a day or something like that. They don't really get much. Then uh, you have the the rich ones that actually just go and travel around and partake in everything. And you're just like, how much money do you have? Uh, Yeah.
0: I wonder about the class tiers and that, especially if we're looking at bands that have live acts or if you're, you know, somebody who can go to every con out there and do interviews with the stars of whatever fandom it is. Right. Like I think supernatural had a huge dedicated fandom for really long Oh my God.
1: Yeah. Supernatural. Rabid. I am so glad I didn't get into it because just from afar, yeah, there's a lot going on. Well, it's also
0: like, I don't want to be cheap with these people, but like fandoms that, or what is it called? The CW?
1: Yeah.
0: Fandoms that emerge from that have like, are co-emergent with really shitty shows only because the fandoms become so important that it becomes such a moneymaker that there can be no end to anything in the show. And so mm-hmm. there can be no continuity or conclusion to any storylines. So you're always bringing people back to life or whatever. So I'm like, damn, you have to hang in there for like 15 seasons of like totally incoherent plot lines over like is, years of that time. That
1: is so true. And at the same time, because I can still remember when it started just because it was leeching off fans from my fandom. I was like, no. Don't,
0: yeah, it's Gilmore no Girls, way. right? They, they no, pulled we're dying in.
1: over here. But it was that like at least in the beginning every season everyone was like oh my god we have to organize they're on the bubble we have to make sure that they get renewed and now I'm like what is, did they end up on like 15 seasons
0: yeah they did 15 <laughs> seasons of that
1: like were they actually on the bubble like I don't I feel like that's not yeah you guys were went so hard for them for so many years and for they basically years. own a tumblr so
0: yeah yeah I mean it was it was just everywhere even if you were just a, a casual lurker so I mean, I, you know, it's easy to forget where these words come from, but as soon as I heard the f- phrase stand I knew immediately where it came from, the Eminem song. Yeah. And so, of course, like, that's the trajectory of yeah. how fandom is going to work. You know, there are these, like, yeah, I like that. I like that there is, like, clergy level and then parishioner.
1: You know, yeah, like, that's kind of that's, how uh, like, and yeah. I, I, I kind of fear that other fandom people are like that's so offensive or religious people I don't know, because I know there is a, a knee jerk reaction to making comparisons between fandom and religion, but it is really like those two levels of the people that really are so into it, and oftentimes help construct the narrative for fans. Um, No, I mean, I
0: think I think the the, actually the model of the Catholic Church is very good for this in terms of the fact that you have like the cardinals, you know, (laughs) the Mm -hmm. conferences in Rome, you have the Pope. So this is like whoever the like main marketer is at the (laughs) firm that's helping create the show. And of course, they're in communication with whatever, let's say the Cardinal Council, the Council of Cardinals is for this fandom. And -hmm. then they go talk to the other tiers of the people in standom. And then it goes down to the fandom after that. And because this is, I think this is something that your work is uh, especially good on is that it seems like you've done a lot of research on how marketers think about what they're doing. Mm-hmm. When they do this. So, like, what are some things that surprise you or shocked you or that you think go unrecognized based on that research?
1: Oh, I have to find the um, the list now. I, I mean, I have it. it's it's the when I read the marketing book or the book that analyzes the marketing that Lady Gaga has, that mm. was very eye-opening to me because she basically she reinforces this idea that, I mean, I guess this is a thing that people know in marketing and online world that it is basically 1% of people that are doing all of this stuff. And then is it 30% or like 20% that are participating, but not to the level of, you know, sure. building websites. And then you have the lurkers that get the ring around it basically. Mm-hmm. And in her book, she's been very clear, like the 1%, 1% of the fans, which is what I would translate into stands
0: Mm -hmm.
1: because that's that's the amount of people that would be that
0: it's the elite tier those are
1: the ones you're targeting don't care don't don't pay attention to the noise these are Mm -hmm. the people you need to target because they are responsible for the way it flows outward and then the list she gave for what makes them stand out is just, I mean, they call them customer evangelists as well, which I'm like, okay, well it's right there. <laughs> that's a little like, too perfect. Come on. Now. I'm like, you're you're right, it's right there. It's a customer evangelist. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so it is very much focused on like the passion, you know, recommending. And you're like, Yeah, okay, I can see that this is a marketing type of, of list, but then they go into they feel part of something bigger than themselves, they have connected yeah. with your brand or company at an intris- intrinsic emotional level. And I'm like, Yeah yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, did you not want to be bought? Like, so it's like, don't do that. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, don't, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. Paying customer evangelists turns volunteerism into labor. So they also know that you kind of can't, it is based on that faith, emotional commitment you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they forgive occasional subpar seasons or dips in customer service to me is essentially like every time things happen that you're like unhappy with and people grumble and they're like this is bullshit if they keep doing this like I'm so gone and then like a week later they're like oh yeah that sucked but like yeah we're over it I want to go see like (laughs) like you'll you'll give you'll make excuses until a certain point you're like holy shit this really is like just how it is
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and you'll figure out how to integrate it it's a major like almost when prophecy fails moment
1: yeah that is a hundred percent what yeah i mean i i feel like that's why i was exiled so yeah it is like seeing it firsthand people doubling down and just completely pivoting it's it's it's, uh because it's become
0: again as the as it says an intrinsic part of their identity
1: yeah so and they can't and i noticed this because um I mean, I didn't know any of this while it was happening. So I was just dealing with these people as if they were normal.
0: Sure. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they're
1: normal, but they're having a moment of, you know, extreme belief being challenged from, you know, a a now outsider that they've deemed as like, you know, it's it's zealotry.
0: It's an experience of being incredibly zealous for a particular belief and emotional system.
1: So me presenting, you know, any type of fact or anything was not welcome you know, it's harassment. It's, you know, it's like how, and what I notice especially because there was a big thing with like, I mean, these are micro things in the grand scheme of things, but it's like sexist comments and stuff like that. And of course, like, you know, 18 to 25 year old guys are going to be saying things that like might yeah. not be thought, like thought through to the like degree that fans will be like mulling (laughs) things over so of course there's going to be things that people get upset about that ultimately don't mean anything Mm -hmm. but the problem became when they started like turning it on its head and being like no it actually is a really subversive feminist act and then I'm like you've lost it yeah (laughs) that's that's always the place like it doesn't matter but it's another thing to be like Actually, he was referring to the 1970s French documentary movie when he said, shut up and be pretty. Like, that's what he was talking about.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's it's like, like, what?
0: There's no way. But <laughs> I mean, here's what's interesting, right? Because the two things that, that interest me, fascinate me and worry me about this, because again, I, I have in my mind, like the way in which I think this is actually going to completely spill over into political elections and political causes I and mean, it's already, and that's, and that's already happening yeah. is that. So I think there's sort of like two tiers to response. So the second one you mentioned is like sort of beyond the pale zealotry, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like any justificatory material mm-hmm. you can come up with, you're going to use. And that can, as a stand, confer upon you greater authority to the audience that's paying attention to your standum, yeah, because you're somebody with, you know, I mean, it's like a higher level of sophistry, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That keeps the whole thing going. But then I think the first tier is one that I find very, very troubling in the political realm because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Here's how I think of the emotional operations happening. Mm-hmm. Person X in the band that you're standing
1: mm-hmm.
0: says thing you disagree with. You agree with fans and stands that it is wrong. Eventually, what happens is you forgive this person for doing this thing, because you come to an almost moment of Christian love about it, where you realize to truly be a stand, to truly love something, you have to forgive it of all of its wrongdoing.
1: I think that's interesting. I wonder how many people that's true for, because what I've experienced and what I've seen and this is worse I feel like is just the total denial that it could be real (laughs) it's (laughs) even worse than I imagined
0: I can't get cynical fast enough Monia is that what you're
1: (laughs) (laughs) like but like sort of the thing of like well if this isn't if what I've and I see this on all sides by which I mean I very strongly feel that once you reach the stan level, you're basically kind of thinking in conspiracies, which is encouraged by... Well, the whole
0: thing's a conspiracy because you yeah, have to con- project narrative. Yeah, because it's like I know them better than
1: you do, basically, yeah. right? Because I'm reading the coded messaging and I know. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've got basically- the esoteric inside <laughs> shit on yeah, like like BTS I'm the one who
1: really knows what the meaning was behind, like... Mm-hmm. All of those things, and that's and so you have all of these people with these intense beliefs that are completely contradictory to each other, Mm. and so you can see that side and say like, okay, so if I'm wrong, then that's real, and I can't, I can't like you're, and you're just like, I cannot accept that, Mm. and I think that's why I would get that response from people where they're like, why would you believe that? like, why would you believe he's capable of that? It's like, because he literally did it. Like, I don't know where, then they're like, no, but he only did it because he had to, you know? Mm -hmm. Everything that they don't like seeing is only because he has to, not because he actually wants to do it.
0: Right, and you can read in the subtle messages what the true,
1: what the true person is. And I saw this a lot in the book Starstruck as well from Michael Joseph Gross.
0: Oh, you quote yeah. from him in the piece. Yeah, What that book seemed particularly perspicacious about this whole thing. So oh, what, yeah. What, what were some things, some takeaways you noticed from there that made you think further about this?
1: I mean, he was really good at, Um, I don't even want to use the word infiltrating because he was very honest about working with fans. And he just really... Bought them to say things, and I'm like, you would not get like an Atlantic reporter to get this. From, no way,
0: yeah. From no them, <laughs>
1: where they're like, you know, the one woman who said, like, I think Dolly Parton cured my depression, and like, I don't have to, you know, and and my high hypertension, and I don't have to take my medicate, like, you know, my blood pressure medication anymore. Like, and I'm like, she definitely believes that, and mm-hmm. you know, okay, <laughs> if you're healthy now, then I, that's fine, you know, for me, I don't really fault for that but it's like it's definitely something I don't think you would go around telling necessarily everyone and just the Michael Jackson fans especially because and this was back when he was still alive so they were you know camping out outside of Neverland Ranch it's called Neverland yeah and just you know the way that they thought about how he changed So he would be like, well, what do you feel about the plastic surgeries that he's had? Like you, you say he's all about like self-love, but he has, you know, transformed himself. And they would be Mm -hmm. like, that's just like, please, he doesn't look that different. Like, you're just like, this is all just like red herrings and like distractions. Like we know the real him, Mm -hmm. like we know what he's really like inside and that all of that's irrelevant. So like, every time someone says something, it just reinforced their idea that like, You think we're stupid, but we actually know that we actually have a connection with him. And at some point there is a type of relationship between them. It's just not reciprocal, you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. I remember
0: the first time I heard this phrase was when I saw this series of YouTube documentaries. I don't think I've actually finished them because she's come out with some sense by this woman named Shannon Strucci on the parasocial relationship. And I mean, I think you've described it pretty, encapsulated it pretty perfectly right there. What's interesting to me is the, many things are interesting about it, but the idea of like fandom or standom as set of knowledge. hmm that I think is particular makes it particularly immune to people who want to interrogate it. I mean, as you've experienced. Yeah. Like it, it is uh remarkably resilient.
1: Yeah. No, it really is. I mean, because you still see, I mean, if you want to look at, and this is something I'm going to be working on as well, is like the they there is a very resilient shipper culture as well. I think mm-hmm. within so for um, people who don't know,
0: what <laughs> let's unpack that <laughs> verb a little bit because I know what you mean.
1: But, this is uh, also a problem where I'm like, which words do I need to define? Yeah. No. Yeah, shipping means it is short, it's short for relationship. So it's like two people that you wish we're together or like like to think about a world where they are together and the adventures that they would go on or you hate the idea and you're an anti-shipper basically
0: mm-hmm. so you can be yeah. anti- you're strictly canonical yeah
1: yeah yeah you have you can have a you can have some pretty intense anti shippers as well. I mean, it's really funny to watch them as well because it becomes this polarization of us versus them where everyone loses their minds. And we see that on Twitter too, oh, where it's like, yeah. whatever this person believes, oh, we have to believe the opposite. Like, we can't, we can't. Mm-hmm. So uh, you'll get some insane things on both sides <laughs> because they're like, mm-hmm. they refuse to engage with anything that comes from the other side. So then they also have their own adapting measures. What I was going to say is I think because of the sort of mainstreaming of shipping real people, it's become more resilient because well, real people exist in the world, you know, and if and if they're in entertainment, they're going to be visible to some degree, you know, for maybe not a majority of the time, but a sort of predictable amount of time you know, per year or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, you know, publicity cycles and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. But it's kind of become like a, a nonstop thing for most of them, I think, where they have to maintain a presence. Wow. Yeah. Man. So
0: I, there's, I have a phrase that mm-hmm. I've thought about since I learned, figured out what it meant for years. And I wanted to talk to you about it because you're like the person I think to talk to about it. And this is the phrase headcanon. Yeah. So, what is it? What does it mean? And, like, why does it
1: matter? Because <laughs> oh I think it matters God. a lot. <laughs> it matters. And there's also, have you heard of Fanon?
0: No. Oh, man. Okay. So, we're going to get into it now. Okay. So, let's just start like, lay it out. What does a headcanon mean?
1: Well, for what well, canon, first of all, is like yeah. the official narrative,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: It's deemed real, yeah. I guess. It's um, the exoteric
0: structure of the plot, right? <laughs> like
1: yeah, is... and and it can get complicated, yeah. uh, especially with shows or fandoms that have like multiple offshoots. Yes, like Buffy that has books, and then like comic books, and then or like, Star Wars
0: you know. has the same problem. Oh my God!
1: Yeah, like which which is the canon that you're like? Are yeah. you <laughs>
0: Everything starts to become like Canticle for Lebowitz. Those
1: of us who are like, Gilmore Girls is just the seven seasons. I don't know anything beyond that. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't recognize it. Yeah. I I don't don't know her. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you're just like, that's it. So you can still have sort of enclosures around what you'll accept as canon because there's no one like leaning over you, you know, saying like, you know, you have to Mm -hmm. repeat it after me. Head canon It's usually, I mean, it would usually refer to something you don't see, and it's just like an idea or a belief that based on your understanding of the characters, the situation, like this would happen, or this would have happened, and it can become fanon, which becomes like the fandom at large's belief about how something would happen. Oh, fascinating. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can have clashes there because- I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is absolutely fascinating. Uh, Yeah. I hadn't heard the fan of these. The fact that there is this like, for lack of a better phrase, like mainstreaming Mm -hmm. of personal headcanon narratives that get constructed. I mean, it's interesting to think about how narrative authority plays out. Yes in terms of that, right? Like, especially, I guess, if we're dealing in the tier of standum, and so like, who has like better purchase the esoteric and deep reading of what's going on and therefore like what is possible within mm-hmm. the like text of the content.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it's, sometimes it gets, it gets to uh, spread through like update accounts. Because they're supposed to have the official, you know, narrative. Like they're not supposed to update on something. Right. They're
0: the the New York Times, right?
1: Like they're the first draft
0: of the history of the fandom.
1: But you also know if you watch what they're doing enough or catch, you know, (laughs) if you pay close enough attention, you start seeing the cracks and you see when they're just making things up and you're like, oh, now this backfired on you, didn't it? (laughs) And then Mm. they're having to like scramble and be like, no, we didn't mean that because one of the big reasons why I refer to my one direction experiences in the fandom as cultic is because of the the lies and the manipulation that were going on Mm -hmm. that I wasn't aware of. And that's a big one where like they would be tracking flights, for example. So, Mm. you know, they would use, I think it's, and I heard, I heard that this is how Scientologists do it too. Like if you have access to the online booking system, For flight bookings, they like every single airline uses the same one. So you can, if you get into that, you can track any type of flight basically anywhere. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that is
0: unbelievable. (laughs) So let me, let me ask this. One of the things that I'm curious about is the way in which these things bleed over into other, into people's like outside the Mm -hmm. fandom spaces. Mm-hmm. like are there general dynamics there that you people who get really involved in a fandom experience where it complicates their like meet space relationships
1: it I think it really varies from person to person the I've been talking to this woman who sort of is exploring k uh, k-pop fandom and has a lot of knowledge based alone on the fact that uh, a lot gets changed in translation from Korean to what like mm. the Western fans believe, because it's just not translated properly. And you're like, Oh, geez. Oh, um, man. But she shared with me a tweet a series from a fan who was saying that she was having to take a break because because so like they might not see her much because her husband has decided that she needs to go to counseling because it's like you can't keep doing like you can't this is like you're obsessed. It's too much. With yeah. Yeah. It's too he's much. like you're obsessed with him, and I can't. And she's like I don't understand what to do. Like, and he just don't won't listen to my to my reasons, and he'll just say like you just want to fuck them. And she's like that's not
0: like yeah yeah. And I, I mean, he's right, it's right her, that it's that's probably, probably too much. Not what it is? Yeah, like, but he's <laughs> wrong about what type of desire it is.
1: <laughs> but what's interesting is someone in the comments put in like a graph of like sports fans and boy band fans I'm like you could just make any fans like it doesn't have to be boy band fans but there is an overlap there and it is interesting how the insanity of some sports fans is just like lived with and just like shrugged off especially in like the UK where they will just have signs on the pubs that say like no match like no colors which means like you can't don't even hint at what team you support because there will be like fistfights.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah like, I mean, just, I th-
1: don't do it. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not normal. <laughs> Is that normal? <laughs> like, that would be like going to a club and being like, we promise not to play, you know, Drake, who else would people hate? Bieber. <laughs> sure,
0: yeah. Like, we're not going to play, we will only play One Direction. We'll not play any of their solo work, right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's- what I would love, yeah. Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly. That's what I would love, yeah. Yeah, so I think- Yeah. I really wonder if, I mean, this would be an interesting anthropological project is to take a look at how fandom is constituted within like the football firm. Yeah. And how it's constituted in like a fandom forum. Mm -hmm. And I bet there's like a ton of overlap there.
1: Yeah. I think in emotions probably, but there's also like,
0: Sure. I mean, different habits because they're different things. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like the rituals of like, you have to see the game, you have to see the concerts. Like right now you can, every concert is live streamed, you know, Mm -hmm. by the audience and, and what we have right. So I think there's, well, one of them is on tour right now because COVID like messed everything up. And what they're doing is like people throw their phones onto the stage and I have no idea how they're getting them back because I don't think I would be able to tell the difference between five iPhones. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I don't know. They all basically look like iPhones. Like whose is this? But they'll pick them up and like sing into the phone. And this goes on TikTok. And it's like, you know, singing directly to you. And I'm like, that's a pretty smart. I don't know if this is planned. This is no, pretty good marketing.
0: <laughs> that is really good marketing. That's. But I don't
1: think you can plan for people to, to yeah. like
0: to
1: their phones on stage, but like I think as well the complications I was never I don't like using the word closet for fandom but I have seen fans using it where they say that Mm. like they're they're completely like no one in their real life knows
0: right it's hidden yeah
1: yeah it's completely hidden and I was never like that I was always like I don't really care (laughs) like like, I'd be like yeah I'm coding websites what of it like (laughs) (laughs) Or is there supposed, is there something wrong with that? I I just never felt the need to, yeah, to hide it anyway. So things have been pretty fine for me. The problem has been, I lived with a fellow fan and she was Stan. And she was one of those that like, no one knows. So there were a few times where she brought me with her to like uh, work functions and things. And she would be like, if anyone mentions anything, like you can't, don't. Go so, into it. Just pretend yeah. like you don't know anything, and I'm like, what? Like, I'm not. I'm. I know how to behave in public. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can just be like, oh yeah, I'm not into that, or you know. She's like, no, you can't say anything, and which you know made me kind of annoyed. That I was yeah. Like, I think yeah. I'm a child? <laughs> but right. that's the level that some people are like, where they're like, no, no, and they'll just <laughs> pretend that they like. You could probably talk. <laughs> you could talk to them about all of store wars and maybe they literally have owned everything and they'll just be like, huh, interesting. I hadn't yeah. thought of that. Like, oh no, I don't keep up with these things.
0: <laughs> but actually they're
1: they're hardcore fans. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean that's an incredible level of discipline to to keep that's that so up. exhausting. I would yeah. not <laughs> So what's what are you so you're thinking about taking a look at this shipping thing? Like where's your research headed next? Like what are you interested in looking at in this
1: world? Well, a lot of it is the interaction between industry and the fans, because I think it's been really underplayed how it feeds into each other, Mm -hmm. in particular with journalists and the press who are happy to take clicks from shippers. (laughs) And then happy to be like, those Mm. lunatics. And I'm like, you're part (laughs) of the problem. Like, do you realize that? Because you just did that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And now you're doing this. And at the same time, those people are beholden to sort of the industry line, right? Like depending on the outlet, I'm pretty sure that they probably have rules for like, okay, these are Universal's top artists. These are Sony's top artists. Like don't, Don't say anything mean about any of these people and we'll be fine. It's free for all and everyone else. But like these guys have mean people behind them. So they can't really talk about, you know, what actually goes on because they're supposed to be presenting the narrative. Right. Which I feel like is partially why. I mean, this could just be me imagining it, but I feel like this is partially why there is so many Stan Wars between who, you know, quote, unquote, outsells, as they like to call it, because everyone's narrative is like, this is the greatest artist of all time, the greatest artist of all time. So each publication repeats, you know, the press release, and each fan is like, yes, that's right. Yeah, you are correct. The greatest. correct. This like ad copy Twitter, is the news. And they're like, wait a minute, you think, you think she's the best? And you think they're? No, 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 no. Like, like I gotta educate you like we're the best and it ends up being very conflict heavy and I think with I mean yeah there's been a lot of that with One Direction where there's even been people making like sock puppet accounts on Tumblr to like study the fans and sort of like pull things from there for marketing campaigns and stuff like that where I'm like I feel like this should be called out yeah right (laughs) like I don't I don't Yeah. 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 And like, I still think about the phone and the phone number that I mentioned in my first piece, where like, there's a phone that was, that had a phone number attached to it that supposedly has something to do with One Direction that fans were given access to, right? Mm. Where like, contact this number and like, you know, presumably it has something to do with them, but there's actually no information. Like, no one actually knows who like weird yeah no isn't that isn't that weird that like is this weird. is a billion dollar brand you think they just like put out a phone and like like let a crew member be like I'm curious
0: yeah what happens if yeah no, that and I is-
1: feel like ho- like what did you guys do I yeah. feel like that was something so I kind of really want to look at the ways that that those interactions have gone and I guess it kind of I'm writing something on slash right now which sort of briefly goes into that because of the I mean the thing is is like I find the history fascinating and I find what has happened incredibly informative of the sort of cycles that we might see what's different is obviously the technology that we have and the Mm -hmm. amount of impact like of influences we can get from from elsewhere but like if you look at the the way that I mean Brangelina Benefer, you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. these portmanteau names came from fandom it came first with the pop slash fandom which was the Spice Girls and like NSYNC B.S.D. Mm-hmm. fandoms that would you know shorten shorten the names and it sort of spread i think throughout hb which obviously you know exploded and then i think when did it really hit the mainstream it must have been like yeah i think once they started using it for tabloids it started really take off and they it's the started post perez hilton everything. era i yeah. think
0: is really when that starts to tick off like I think the the paparazzi moment of the early aughts is a watershed yeah. moment for fandom absolutely
1: yeah, I, I think so yeah yeah and then and I really notice it as well because so I was in queer folk fandom mm-hmm. and that was you know beginning of the 2000s and you would just refer to the ships as the ships right so like the name slash the other name or like mm-hmm. name and name And when I sort of went looking for content on Tumblr, like more recently, suddenly it's like smush names. And I'm like, what is this? What are you doing? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But
1: that's the norm now. And I'm just like, no, I don't like this.
0: Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's industry standard. Well, that's fascinating. So uh, I want people to be able to find your work. So you have the Substack. that's in the show notes. You, I think you also have a podcast.
1: Oh yeah, I'm. A, I co-host a, um, a podcast called The Culty Geek, that is being hosted on John Atac's YouTube page.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's cool. a bit
1: complicated, but like I was just <laughs> asked to do culture criticism with the, that looks at you know cultic elements and authoritarianism and stuff like that. I think the Gilmore Girls episode was great.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, people should uh, check that out. Please send me the link to a lot of stuff so I can put it in the show notes and yeah. also put your. Twitter so people can find you there. I, yeah, I'm a big supporter. I'm really grateful that you came on. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: All right, everybody. So that's all. We will see you next week. Stay safe out there.